Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley Harley-Davidson. Our guest today is Scott Birdsell of Chuckles Garage. He's a custom car builder, a business owner, and the pilot of the old smoky F149 pickup you would have seen climbing Pikes Peak. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Scott Birdsell, and um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Who's Scott Birdsell? Um, well, I'm a uh, fabricator, racing driver, and... Uh, I got a shop here in Santa Rosa, and I just I just like to have fun and build fast stuff and have a good time, mate. Like just like obviously we're in Australia, you're in Santa Rosa. That's uh, Northern California, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're in. Uh, my shop is based. I have two shops. One is Resolute Motorsports, and the other one's Chuckles Garage, and both both are based in uh, Santa Rosa, California. Okay. Yeah. Right. What What got you into this at the start? Oh God, I've been a gearhead since I was a little kid. Um, but like what got me into building cars for a profession, um, I just, I had like the worst corporate job ever and, uh, I couldn't handle it anymore. So I just, I've I always wanted to open my own shop and, and do stuff on my terms. So I just started my shop and haven't looked back. That was 13 or so years ago, 12 years ago. I don't know. Wow. it's so long you just don't count the you don't count the time anymore i think that's the thing too like when you're doing it um time sort of becomes irrelevant hey yeah time just ticks away you go to an event you promote this you do this and the next thing time's just it's irrelevant yeah i mean time flies when you're having fun right so for sure there's what not was a- the first what was the first product that was built in the workshop was it a fabrication item or how'd that start um so as I, in this shitty corporate job I had, like I also had my, I already established my shop on the side. So I was doing that like on weekends and at nights. Um, and I, my shop was strictly like hardcore hot rods and pre-war hot rods, you know, just like all the old school stuff, nothing modern. Um, I didn't really, didn't really mess with cars after like the early sixties. Uh, but mostly what I really liked was, uh, pre-war stuff. So I would, I would kind of build that stuff. And, um, so like the first, the first car I ever built that was like, got a lot of exposure. Um, I built like this 36 Dodge crazy hot rod thing. And, uh, you know, that, that was in a few magazines and then some reality star guy in Germany bought it. And then it was in all the magazines there. And, um, you know, then, then I just uh, kind of transitioned into building more modern cars and getting into, you know, modern racing cars and Porsche and BMW and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and then everybody knows, everybody knows Old Smokey and that's, Old Smokey's like an amalgam of what I used to do and what I do now. Because Old Smokey from um, outside perspective is, uh, what is it, a 49? Yeah, uh, Old Smokey is a 1949 Ford truck. Uh, yeah. 40, 1949 Ford F1. Um, but the only thing that is left of the original truck is the body. Um, and not even all the body, just the cab and the bedsides. Uh, you know, the front's composite now. Um, but, you know, it's a tube chassis, 1400 horsepower turbo diesel race truck. And it's, it's a, um, and it's state of the art too, isn't it? It's not like it's um, just put together for a, no, it's not. It's 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 not like some backwoods rat rod. It's a, uh, it's um everything on it, best of the best. Yeah, I mean it's a, uh, I mean it it you know. So it's hard. It, I get confused. So this year Pikes Peak ran, but I didn't run. We had some major component issues before we left. Um, but uh, last year we set the uh, all time record at Pikes Peak for a diesel and the. The truck actually took it away from took the record away from factory Mercedes Benz. It's pretty, so, um, pretty that's, impressive. That's pretty fun, yeah. That's like that's my crowning achievement in my in my uh, you know I've been I've been driving racing cars for a long time and you know that's my that's my crowning achievement. What was it that drew you to Pikes? Oh man, uh, I used to watch it all the time with my dad when it was when it was still on TV. Um, so Pikes Peak and, you know, Indy 500, 
Daytona 500, 24 hours of Le Mans. Like those were like the things we would always watch together. And, and I always wanted to go race Pikes Peak. So, um, one day I just kind of thought, Hey, you know, I can turn old Smokey from like a track truck into like a full on hill climb truck. And it, it won't take a lot, but so we, we slowly developed it over three years and, you know, failing a couple years in a row at Pikes Peak and then finally, finally getting it on the third year. It's a, um, I went there in 2016 or 17 um, with the goal of always wanting to, I, I, I'd love to have raced it on a motorcycle. And then I got there and I'm like, wow, yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is above me, I think. I know, <laughs> I know, I know a lot of people that have uh, said that, you know, they want to go to Pikes Peak and then they go there and they're like, maybe not. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I got, I got a funny story about my first year there. So I'm afraid of heights. Like I don't even like getting on a freaking ladder. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I, I have all these big sponsors and, and they're, you know, I've totally committed to this race. And so the first year I show up, I, uh, I get a rental car and I'm like, I'm going to go pre-run the mountain. So, I get there and I'm like, oh, this isn't bad. This isn't bad. And as soon as I start getting past the tree line, I'm like, holy hell, what am I, what am I doing? Like what, what on earth caused me to do this? And, and the higher I'm getting, the worse it gets. I see tourists driving up and turning around and chickening out and driving back down. And I'm like, I'm supposed to drive a freaking thousand plus horsepower diesel race truck up this. Like, and, and so I'm like, man, how can I get out of this? This is crazy. I don't want to do this. And, uh, you know, I went up to the top and I had a donut and checked out the gift shop and everything. And on the way down, I'm like, you know what? I don't have a choice. So for the rest of the day, I just drove up and down Pikes Peak in this rental car, like getting close to the edge and looking down on purpose and like trying to scare myself. So eventually I desensitized myself to where I was like, okay with doing it. And then, and then I almost killed myself <laughs> that year, crashing on the engineer's corner. But, uh, you know, came back with a vengeance in 2019, uh, set the diesel qualifying record, and then it rained. And so we didn't have a full run for the race. And then in 2020, reset the diesel qualifying record and then set the all-out record for diesels. Man, that's huge. And what were the conditions like up the top for that one? Was that just a dream run or was it? Was it, it was a dream run. Yeah. It was, it was scary though, because the race was postponed like two and a half or three hours because there was so much ice on top of the mountain on the track. And so, and I was first out of the gate. So I'm the Guinea pig for everyone else. You know, if Scott freaking tosses it off the side of the mountain, then maybe it's kind of sketchy up top. So, you know, I'm running the whole race and I'm, starting to get, you know, a few corners from where the ice is. And I'm like, do I, do I go, you know, and the truck's already overheating, but you know, do I stay in it or do I slow down? Like, what do I do? And, you know, sure enough, when I got to those corners, they were wet, but they weren't like scary icy. So I just kept it wooded and, you know, the, uh, the guy behind me was only a second behind me. So if I would have just like flinched a little bit for those wet corners, I wouldn't have got the record. Right. One second over that distance. Mm -hmm. It's nothing. I, that's well, 1001. Then he crosses the line. It's, it's, it's not that much. Cause it's, you know, you're, it's 12 and a half miles. So <laughs> much to speak to. I, can, I can totally understand your, your fear of getting up there. Cause I'm a little bit like that with heights and we got above the tree level and I'm like, and I don't know about this. Hey, eh? I, I really don't know about this. And, and you yeah. spectate up there and, um, there's, there's nothing really like it. I don't think. No, it's, it's the coolest thing I've ever done. I like, you know, I used to, I used to have fun when I'd go to like the local tracks and test. And now it's just like, it's testing because there's no like gnarly adrenaline rush. And, you know, there's no freaking thousand foot cliffs I can fall off or anything like that. You know, Bigfoot's not going to jump out and attack me while I'm driving my, it's like, it makes, it makes every other kind of race thing seem so mundane. Hundred percent. I yeah. I yeah. I can't add to that anymore. It's, uh, I can only imagine what you go through in the driver's seat of that thing. I guess the one thing is your nerves would be out because you're just so focused on fourteen hundred odd horsepower. 
Yeah, the first first year my nerves were weren't so great, but um, and then the second year they weren't so great because I just crashed really bad the first year. Um, but you know, it, as soon as you learn the track really well, like I've got a, a simulator where I try to I try to get on it like at least two three times a week and spend spend some time on that. Um, as soon as you memorize the course and understand where you can hang it out and where you really need to be careful because, you know, it's just either you don't know it good enough or it's just a sketchy part of the track. Like then you can kind of relax. Like, like I feel super relaxed when I do it now. It's just going through the motions and, you know, you're hyper-focused and it's just like, it's like the most beautiful thing you can possibly do while driving your race car. It's just, it's so damn cool. It, 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 it have to be. And looking back and, and you obviously looked at it as well before, um, the Ari Vatnan thing as a kid, like as a younger bloke growing up, like I look at that, that was like um, ballet in a car, wouldn't it? It was just neat, you know? And you look at it now, you think, okay, I can understand where that is, you know? Yeah. And it's cool too, because I have, you know, like a, we have like an event called Fan Fest, like right before the race where there's, you know, 50,000 people in downtown Colorado Springs. And, you know, as a race driver, you get to meet those kids and see the look on their face, like how stoked they are to meet you. And, and like, because I was that same kid at some point, you know, way back when, like I can, I can see it through their eyes and it's so cool for them. So it's, I don't know. It's one of the, one of the rad things. It's, it's, uh, Pike's Peak is, is something real different. What, what, why did you build old Swanky? What was the story behind that? I don't know. It's, it's kind of one of those, I, I can do it. So I'm going to do it things. Um, so I bought it. Uh, I like to find, sometimes I'll find cheap cars on Craigslist and then I'll flip them and make a profit. Um, and my tool guy told me about this 1949 Ford F1. And so I went and looked at it and I'm like, holy crap, this thing's pretty clean, like not a lot of rust. And it's got a really awesome patina on it. And so I bought it for 225 bucks, which is unheard of. Now, there's no way you can buy a Ford F1 for 225 bucks anymore. Um, and brought it back to the shop. I power washed it. And then it just sat on the fence for a few months and it really started to grow on me. So I'm like, you know, I'll make a shop truck out of it. So then we pulled it in and started making a shop truck out of it. It had like a simple 12 valve and an automatic transmission and, you know, disc brake conversion, but nothing crazy. Um, and then, you know, my, my lack of restraint kind of got a hold of me a hold of the project and it just started snowballing like okay i need two turbos now and okay now i need a built engine and now i need giant disc brakes and oh this chassis sucks so i'm gonna cut the chassis up and tube frame it and eventually it was like this super wild super expensive tube chassis like track day truck that ended up debuting at the autometer booth in 2016 at sema and it was on car and drivers like 10 best list and like it was crazy but um i guess you know i get i get bored of cars really easy so um then it just started to evolve into like this crazy what it is now i mean it's, people people when they see it they don't even understand what it is and they just kind of like what is that <laughs> um so like, I mean, it's especially fun too, because I have the thing street registered here, like street, street legal in uh, California. And I, I like, I've driven it to the shop. I've driven it like an hour away to a car show. Like it's just, oh, it's fun. So, so you can, you can register that in California. Yeah. Because it's, so it's a 1949 and it has to adhere to all the automotive, um, you know, like the rules and regulations from 1949, it doesn't have to adhere to 2021. So, um, you know, it doesn't need like, like let's, okay. So in 1949, that truck came with a taillight and that's it. No turn signals, no seat belts, like nothing like that. So it still doesn't have to have all that stuff. So it's, Man, that's, a, that's the coolest rule ever. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And that's, that's why that's why old cars are so sought after sought after in the U.S. because the newer cars you can't modify them anymore. So, but an older car like that doesn't require smog, 
you can you can put whatever engine in it you want. I mean, it's just you, you can get away with it. I'm sure there's laws against doing that stuff, but you can totally it's it's still it's still fair game here. That's cool. Tell me about this, and, and this is something that you post about a bit. What what is the phase of that sort of stuff happening in California? Are they trying to rule out that sort of style of rule? Well, I mean, recently they they passed a law um, for the smog laws that say that when a car when a newer car comes in, they'll check the computer to see if the car has been tuned. So you can't even tune a car anymore. Um, there's there's so many like aftermarket parts that you can put on cars that are gray area that when you go to smog the car, they'll either pass you or they'll tell you to put all your stock stuff back on. Like there's, it's kind of just like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of the wild west out there for that stuff. But basically everything's outlawed. I mean, unless it has a um, carb sticker on it. Here, let me get, turn the ringer off on my phone here. It's vibrating. Mate, that's going to be um, the, the next sort of 10 to 15 years of car evolution um, for classic cars and that. It's going to be interesting to see what, what goes on, hey? Yeah, it's, it's especially scary for me because I make like all my income is from modifying cars. So, um, you know, lately – uh, the business model is turning more toward like I, like these cars right back here. Um, we take the Porsche cars and we make overland, like basically rally cars out of them for the street. Um, and that's something we can do and really keep everything smog legal in the back. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody keeps telling me to go start building electric cars. And I, I just, I hate them so much, but I feel like I have to, I have to, um, I don't want to do a Kodak, you know, like Kodak sat on their laurels and they didn't believe in digital cameras and then <laughs> and they ended up being nothing. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to Kodak my company. So, uh, you know, we, we just, uh, I haven't released photos or anything of it yet, but we took a Tesla model Y and we did the overland treatment to it. We put the coilover suspension on it and the braid wheels and the Toyo off-road tires and so it looks it looks pretty cool, but you know it's just I don't like electric cars. Like I'm all I'll build them for people, but it's just something I can't get into. No matter no matter how much it's sold about you know 100 percent power, 100 percent torque, instant throttle, um, instant throttle, everything like that, it still doesn't have the feel of a gasoline powered vehicle. No, no, and I and, and like I don't care how fast the thing is; it can go you know Mach six if it's not making sounds and smells and vibrations and all the visceral things that we love about piston driven or, you know, petrol driven engines. It's like, it's, it's just so boring. It's, it feels like a, it feels like a tool, you know, it's, it's like a Prius. Priuses are lame because they just, they don't have any of that. Like you don't, you don't have like an experience when you get in it. Like you're not feeling except you don't feel nothing in it. And it's like, the only thing that Tesla has to give me personally as a driver is like the acceleration, but that's it. It's like, I want the smells and I want the sights and everything. That's the thing. And like, if, you, if you've got to put a siren to go up a mountain so you can hear it <laughs> and you just, unless you're just hearing air noise, like it just doesn't give you anything to watch. It just doesn't give you anything. The whole thing is to hear things. Yeah. I would say the only exception to that was in 2018 I got to watch Volkswagen break the all-time record with their with their IDR, which was a you know a beyond state-of-the-art you know electric prototype car, and it you know it sounded like an RC car, like it had straight-cut gears and all this other stuff, and it literally sounded like a radio-controlled car, which was cool to me because it was it was visceral, it was making cool sounds, especially ones that I could relate to as a little kid, like that's cool, but modern electric cars don't make any noises no so and if you want to if you want to do it we, i was having a chat with this conversation with someone the other day and it's you know we ride a bike home from work or something like that when you whenever you do that 
it's not A to B. Always go up around the mountain and home, even if it's a little bit further. It's just something that does to you, and that's what you want to have. Like, if you just get in that A vehicle, you don't get it. It just, it's A to B. There's no other feeling. There's nothing, nothing about it. I mean, even modern, so, like, even modern gas vehicles, like, some of them don't do it for me. Like, I had a brand new um, uh, 2020 Toyota Supra. And it was, and I, had a G, and I had a Nissan GTR before that, one of the newer ones. And it was so good and did everything so well that it made it boring for me. So, you know, I got rid of both of them. And uh, like my fun car now is a, well, there, there's these two back here. I got, this is a Celica. I'm ask about this. Is this a Celica GT4? Yeah, it's a, it's a, the uh, WRC model. So it's the homologation special. So how did you get that? Take a look at <laughs> pretty fun car um i got it from a uh who makes japanese sport classics uh imported it and then i got it from them so tell me about driving a Celica gt4 like same thing we uh look at those in the in the mid 90s that was like an icon of a car before the wrx came through in that sort of era what was it like well i mean so even now this car it has the same specs as like the STI, you know, it's near 300 horsepower. It's all wheel drive. Um, it's much lighter than the new STI. Um, it, this, this car 20 something years ago is, is what we're getting now for production cars. So it's, it's an impressive car and it's really fun to drive. Um, this one's, this one's right hand drive. So it's a little, it's a little odd here, but, um, but, uh, yeah, it's a fun car. And going back to the whole legality thing, like I can't drive this legally in California. I have to just like take it out and drive dirty in it and hope I don't get pinched. But it's it's fun. So What's we, the, um, we, is there any plans to do anything with that? Yes. So this is one of the ones that escaped um, being a factory race car. Um, so it still has... Uh, like door panels and stuff like that and a full interior in it. So I'm going to, I'm going to just completely ruin the thing and gut it and lighten it up some more. I'm going to put a roll cage in it. And then I've got a, I've already got a motor at the shop. It's a built uh, 600 horsepower, three S GTE. We're going to throw that in there with a big Garrett turbo and um, you know, strengthen up the axles and put a bigger clutch in it and just make it like a nasty, you know, like, group b power <laughs> rally car of it and do some rallies over there no nah, just be a fun street car that is stupid which i love i love 90s shit boxes and that's this is like the epitome of a 90s shit box it and pretty then, much is a eh? it fits the bill yeah it is it's a really nice one but it's you know 90s they 90s japanese cars had so much character you know they were they were so fun um and it if you look at them now too, like uh, I don't know about in the States, but in Australia, that, that 90s, whether it be GTRs, the start of some of the Evos, like they are through the roof. They were so the much, character. Yeah, they're going for big money, but they were so much cooler than the cars we get now. I mean, they, they had so much character. Um, one of my other cars, I have a 98 Toyota Supra uh, twin turbo. And then when, when we get that thing done, it's going to have, you know, thousand plus horsepower sequential transmission and like that'll be my fun street car so what mode is that are they a 2j in those or 1j it's a 2jz gte so it came came factory twin turbo and then i've got it all upgraded custom titanium tubing dual garrett turbos um you know a lot of guys take the twins off and put a single on but i kept i kept twins just bigger twins so it's, it's pretty it's pretty impressive when you pop the hood and take a look at it. it looks kind of looks pretty rad. Tell me about the love of Porsches. Do you have a love of Porsches, or is this just something that comes through I, as a business? No, so? I, I really do love them. They're um, you know they're, they're different cars, but uh, they give you everything you could possibly want in a sports car. You know, it's got everything is analog in it. Um, you know, they've got the rear weight bias, so they always want to oversteer. Um, they make great sounds, like the, the gearbox is noisy. 
the engine is noisy. It's right behind you. Um, you know, everything is analog. It, it just, it feels so good. Like it's, it is the most fun driving sports car you can buy. Is that right? And it's, it's cause it's mechanical. Hey, everything's a mechanical feel. Everything is mechanical. Yeah. That's the best part about them. It's, it's a, it's an analog car. So to do this overland stuff, was that, was that a big jump or was that something you'd done before? Well, it, it started when, um, my now partner in Resolute Motorsports, Gall, he came to me and wanted me to build him one because he couldn't find what he wanted anywhere else. And, uh, you know, he wanted like a, how do you say it? He wanted a real rally car. He didn't want like a fluff ball that just had a lift kit and some wheels and tires thrown on it. He wanted like skid plates front to rear, like tubular subframe, all that. So we built this car and, you know, at the end, we were both, I was really impressed with it and he was super impressed with it. So we just decided to kind of join forces and, and build these cars. Because yep. um, they're just, they're cool as hell. There's a, um, my friend Nicole Johnson just did a episode on uh, Nicole Johnson's detour on, on the car. Uh, we went out and ripped it on some dirt roads. You guys can check that out. But um yeah, I mean, they're it's just super fun. And is, like, there, is there many base models around to do it with? There, yeah, there's tons of these cars. Like everybody's like, "Oh, you ruined an air cooled Porsche." I'm like, "There's millions of them out there. They're just expensive, you know." Yeah. And if the client's willing to pay the money for the base car, then you know, the sky's the limit. After that, it's not like we're trashing some beyond rare car. It's like these cars are a dime a dozen. Yeah, no, they're pretty cool. I, like, I'm looking at your photos online of them. I'm like, that looks like just so much fun. And in the yeah. dirt, it would yeah. be a great experience. Oh, yeah, cool. Right there. So what sort of model is that? What what year? Tell us some details about that particular That's, a, uh, that's a 1987 um, uh, 911 SC. So it's kind of the high line of the non-turbo cars. So you mentioned you were a gearhead as young. What was the first vehicle? Was my it a gearhead first... vehicle or was it a non-beat gearhead vehicle? Uh, well, my first vehicle was, you know, my my BMX bikes. Um, but then, you know, I was always making go-karts and stuff like that that we could bomb down the hills with and kill ourselves in. And then, you know, I got my first dirt bike when I was a little kid and, and then I was hooked. And, uh, you know, I raced dirt bikes until I was, you know, 25 years old. Um and then, you know, I did karting, uh, did karting when I was younger. Um, I still, I still have a 125 shifter cart. Nice. Um, and then like my, my first car, my first car is so lame, but, uh, it was a 1978 Volkswagen Dasher. And, what's uh, a Dasher? what's a Dasher like? What would that be in so similarity? It was a two door Dasher. It's a, it's like a, it's like a fat Sirocco. Okay. Um, so it's in Europe, it was called the Passat. And in the US, they had this two door hatchback, which, which actually looks like the early, uh, the early Audi rally cars, like the, the legendary, it has the same shape. It's, it's really, in, in hindsight, like it was the lamest car in the world when I was a kid, but now it's so cool. Like, <laughs> um, in fact, it's probably the rarest liquid cooled Volkswagen um, that you can find right now. So I had, I just, I just bought one that's exactly the same as the one I had for my first car. Um, and my buddy is a professional car finder and it took him over three years to find it for me. So, so it's legitimately rare. Like they're, they're beyond rare. Like you can't, you can't go online and find one for sale anywhere. Sometimes you can find four door ones and sometimes you can find the wagons but the the gas manual hatchback two door is just or just a hatchback two door in general is just it's beyond rare. Wow, that's crazy. Because we did call, we had the Passat here. Because they were such they were such a shitty car that that like you know mo I guarantee you ninety percent of them didn't escape the crusher. Like they've been turned into sardine cans years ago. But this one. <laughs> This one came from Arizona and the guy stuck it in his garage and it sat there for 25 years. And 
he gave it, he gave it to the guy I bought it from. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy that it, that it made its way to me. I, I don't think there's that many left on the planet really. Wow. That's our, um, yeah, we, we had them called the Passat, the Passat here or Passat or whatever here. We had those, but I hadn't heard of those before. And that's probably, probably why they were all into sardine cans. Yeah. It was just a Passat there, but they probably did. I don't think they sold the two door Passat hatchback in anywhere, but the U S as far cool. as I know, I don't know. So what's the plan with that one? Are you, you go back to, are you going to go back to original or is it going to be obnoxious? And no, we're going to, we're going to make an obnoxious car out of this thing. <laughs> um, Love so, it. uh, my buddy, Matt Crook, he's like, he's a, he's a early liquid cooled Volkswagen guy. Like he loves those things. And so between him and I, we came up to the idea of a, like a group two car from, you know, back in the late seventies or early eighties. So we're going to do, you know, box flares slammed on the ground, big front spoiler. Um, I'm going to do a five cylinder Audi engine, probably with sequential transmission, um, you know, 700 horsepower. So just, full on race car, but, but out of this super lame Volkswagen Dasher. And, uh, it's basically like, like if I had money back when I was 16 years old, when I bought this thing, like, this is what I would have built like a full on, like crazy group two car. Right. That's neat. And that, that era of like the Audi rally car. Yeah. That was, that's the best era. I I, I probably feel. Yeah, the the Audi five cylinder in the uh, in the S one E two was it's the best sounding race engine. Apart from like, you know, late or early two thousands like Formula One V tens, like yeah. that's, it's the best sounding engine. Hundred percent, you know, and it, there's only uh, there's only a handful of them still running in com- like um, like um, hist- historic competitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to hear one uh, the other year and. And there's not, not much like that. Yeah, it makes a hair stand up on your arms. There's a yeah. there's a guy that races a red um, S1 at uh, Pikes Peak, and then there's another there's another one of those. It's a white one that races one of the earlier long before they chopped them in half in the middle and shortened them. There's one of the longer versions that runs there too. Yeah, right. And that's a uh, cool car to have up there as well. You know. And, and probably um, period accurate too. You know, I guess for those cars because not many people go too obnoxious on them. They sort of try and keep them a bit. Um, yeah. Both of the ones, that, both of the ones at Pikes Peak have some modern um, additions to them, but they're very true to the original cars, like wheel size. Um, they're still running the, you know, mechanically injected, you know, Audi five cylinder that just makes such good sounds. Um, so yeah, they've stayed true to it with, you know, modern, modern engine management, I'm sure, because the stuff they were using back then was like, you know, probably the power of a calculator. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It would have been so different to what we have now. Yeah. Good old Smokey, do you have like a split um, engine map for that? Yeah. So the the factory computer in two th- in the two thousand six Dodge trucks was like amazing, and you can go in and tune everything just like just like you could if you had like a standalone. So we have a two thousand six. Um, factory Dodge ECU in there, um, and we just we just laptop tune it. We just get in there and change everything we want to do. Um, my guy, like if it hits an elevation, you can change it or something like that. I'm guessing. Yeah, see, I'm I'm not I'm not a tuner, but uh, my guy Jared from Breakout Tuning, he goes in there and we get it on the dyno, and he does all kinds of magic, and it makes lots of power, and I go fast. So yeah, that's pretty pretty cool, way. Eh? Yeah, like to be able to run a factory ECU. Um, I thought you'd be doing something totally different. I thought it'd be like a Motec system or something like that. Mm-mm, don't need it. Good. Need it. That's very cool. So, what happened after the uh, the Volkswagen? What came into the shed after that? Oh God, what did I get? Oh, that's so. Then I got a '91 Nissan pickup, brand new, um, right before I graduated high school. Um, and I remember it was uh, six thousand nine hundred ninety-five dollars, brand new. Damn, that's cheap. Um, isn't that crazy? Then, but <laughs> <laughs> you're putting the door for twenty-five grand anymore for a truck. No, that's it. Yeah. It was sixty-nine hundred and ninety-one dollars. I'll never forget that. Um, 
and my car payment was like $171 a month. And it was like so backbreaking for me to make that much money at the pizza place then. Um, but then, uh, but then I had a bunch of friends that were into mini trucks. So we took it and we slammed it and, and, you know, I just, I went through a mini trucking phase and then I got a 94 Toyota truck that did the same thing too, completely ruined it. Like cut the fenders out, slammed it on the ground, body dropped it, all that stuff. Um, and then, uh, uh, I bought a 62 Buick, um, LeSabre with the, with the 401 Buick Wildcat engine in it. And then I got into low riders. So it had. Uh, two pumps, four dumps, 12 switches. Like, I can't remember how, I think I had eight batteries or something in the trunk. And it was just like, it was like your perfect, it was perfect. It was amazing low rider. Um, fun car. Yeah, it was so cool. But then it actually, you know, a couple years ago, all those fires came through California. Mm. And like, you know, my house is only a couple years old because it burned down. And my 62 Buick that I still had was in the garage and it was fully restored. And all I had to do was put the starter in the stupid thing. Um, and I just could never get around to it. And so it just burned up in my house. So oh, I, I had that car for a long time. What else do you lose? You lose a few things in the house. Everything? Yeah. We, Cause when we, when we got out for that fire, like we just basically ran out of the house and got in the car and left. Damn. So there's no. no time at all to get anything. Mm -mm, nothing. My clothes, my watches, my gun collection, everything just burned up. All my cars, my tow rig was outside, like all got burned up. It's gutting, hey, to see that. And you see um, some of the things online about people's collections and also, you know, photos are one thing, family memories are one thing, and that, but other things like people's collections and that is just like, yeah, it's garbage. Yep. It's garbage. There's a there's a couple online stories about like my collections, my car collection that I lost and everything. So if anybody wants has morbid curiosity and wants to check that out, they just Google it. <laughs> it's funny. That that sort of thing is a morbid curiosity for people, isn't it? You know, to find that to, you know, unbuildable things now. So <clears throat> when did you sort of love of obviously you had racing bikes and carts and stuff? When did you feel that you wanted to go racing? proper sort of racing i guess when that happened um well that's something i've been doing since i was a little kid too so i oh, see so you did the other time yeah okay yeah like you know i could barely ride a bike and i don't and you know my dad took me and i started bmx racing at like you know eight years old so or maybe even younger i can't remember i could barely ride a bike i just remember that um and I still have my first BMX trophy. Like it survived the house fires because it was at my shop in my trophy case. So I still have that. Um, I don't know. I got the I got the racing bug early, um, and then you know, like I wasn't horrible at sports like during high school and all that stuff. But uh, you know, the only thing I really cared about was baseball. Um, but it was mostly all I cared about was like racing my dirt bike, riding my dirt bike. And then as soon as I got a car, like all I cared about was like doing stuff with my cars. And, um, but like the professional racing thing, um, I don't know. It just, it just kind of like my, I, I started club racing. Um, and then, you know, it just, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with like a lot of money. So like, you know, my parents were pretty fairly poor and they didn't have the money to support all this stuff. So like, it was all like, I would just take my, take the money I had made at home at, at work and I would build my own race car and I would go race it, you know, in, in SCCA or NASA and it had fun. And then, um, had an opportunity, uh, to do some, uh, some stuff in the, in the pro ranks later on. And, you know, then, then I got away from it and then, you know, the opportunity for Pikes Peak, I, you know, I applied for that and I, and I got in. And so, you know, I guess, I guess you can say that I don't really like pro racing that much because all the politics and the money involved, but, um, I'm able to do it now, you know, like with Pikes Peak, um, on my own terms, you know, I get to run what I want and do what I want and just go out and have a good time. Cause the logistics in coming from north california obviously to colorado for pikes mate there must be so much that goes on behind the scenes to make that happen 
Oh yeah. It's, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful for like all my big sponsors, like Toyo and dynamite diesel and, and fleece. Um, just all my, all my big sponsors, Garrett turbos, like they, you know, between sponsorship money and, and tech help and parts help and everything like that. Like, I don't think most people don't really understand, like just a single race at Pikes Peak. Like if you can do it for 50 grand, you're doing it on the cheap, you know? And then it's, uh, you know, the equipment involved, you know, the getting everything towed out there and having to have like basically a, a portable race shop to take with you because you're there testing, you know, for half the month before you race. Um, yeah, it's a big effort. And, you know, I, I basically, we load everything in the trailer and I drive out there by myself and, and then my team flies in and we just, we just go for it. Yeah, just yeah. A lot of people probably don't don't see don't understand it because it is, it's remote from where you're at, and then everything about it is just it's not a, not a workshop inside. You know, you've got to do everything yourself. <laughs> no, um, I was really uh, two years two years ago. I was really lucky to um, get introduced to my friend Dennis in Colorado Springs, and he has a standalone hobby shop with a lift and everything like that at his house, which is right across the street from the entrance to Pikes Peak. And so that's like a dream. Like it made it, it makes it so much nicer because we're just right there and then we just load up and go to the race. Um, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So it's, it's super awesome. Um, What's the evolution of old Smokey? Is there more to, more to do or is it, is it, uh, do you change it out for something or what do you do? So, Old Smokey, I feel like, can evolve further, um, but we've, I feel like I've got the, so this last year, we changed a lot of stuff. I put independent rear suspension in it, um, more cooling, more efficient turbos, better brakes, um, you know, and it's already got, you know, three-way Motons on it, you know, it's like a, a $10,000 set of coilovers, like, everything is like the best spec on it. The only thing I can think to do from here, cause now even the whole front end is composite. You know, there's no, there's no sheet metal. It's a one piece composite front end. Um, I think the only evolution I can go from here is make it all wheel drive. Um, but I don't, I honestly, with that big Cummins up front, I don't know how on earth I could fit it unless I sunk the engine back another foot. And, and then it would be like right next to me right here. So yeah, it's going to change the whole balance. Like I say, yeah, work to it. Well, it'd be good because it, it needs, it needs a little more rear balance. Cause that, that engine is 1100 pounds and that's, it's still, so the things a lot of people don't know about the truck is it's, it's a front mid engine truck. Like the hundred percent of that engine is behind the front axle. So only three cylinders are in front of the firewall. The other three are in the and in the driver's compartment with me. Um, so it's you know it's balanced out pretty well for a truck, and you know it, it like it pulls 1.7 G's uh, at Pikes Peak that we've got on our data logger, which is pretty amazing. Um, but I think I think Smokey's evolution will be little tiny things to make it better, but. Uh, the real evolution that's happening is I bought a super light LMP one car that we're going to put a, um, a three liter, uh, diesel, uh, eco diesel V six in it with about 700 horsepower. And that's going to be Smokey's successor at Pikes peak. So explain to me, what's a, what's a LMP one car? Uh, Le Mans prototype. So okay, yep. like the, the top cars that race at Le Mans, yep. it's, uh, I mean, it's basically a, it's a wing with wheels on it and a little cockpit. Wow. But that's you know, going to be fast. Yeah. It'll be really fast. Like, I mean, the only, the only way that Smokey's record can stay is if my LMP, like if I crash it or something catastrophic <laughs> happens with the engine, because it's, um, it's a purpose built, like downforce generating, 
you know, LMP car. It's, it's kind of the pinnacle of like road race cars. Wow. That'll be, and, and is that the plan to race it at Pikes? Like that's what you want to do. Yeah. We're developing that right now for 2022. How, how do you think that would go? Obviously electric's taken over fairly heavily up there. A, f- a fully built road race car like that. How do you think that'll compare? To like Volkswagen's IDR, yeah. I think with that kind of power and and weight, it would it would be in the I don't know. It 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 just depends how much uh, how much courage I can I can drive with too. But uh, I mean I I'm pretty confident I can get the diesel record into the nines right now with it. Um, you know, it's in the, it's in the, uh, it's 1124065 right now, but I mean, I could, I could shave, uh, you know, well over a minute off it with the, with the prototype. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's an awful lot. But, but to compete with, I don't know, you know, my friend, yeah. my friend Robin, he, he was king of the mountain this year and he did it in a, in a gas, in a petrol powered prototype. Um, and I think I think he has a chance to beat um, to beat the Volkswagen Volkswagen's record. I think he's got the talent, and the, his his car is crazy lightweight. Um, but I don't think the diesel would be because it, you know it's going to be a three thousand pound prototype, like a heavy prototype. Yes. Yep. And Makes and sense. and it also, you know, the the electric car it doesn't care how high it is. It, it still runs the same as it does on the bottom. Like I, I get, you know, I lose 30% of my power on the way up. So it's, it's a big thing. That's a huge, that's obviously the big, uh, the big win about it being electric, isn't it? Obviously that's mm-hmm. one of the big significant parts of going yep. to the electric side. Yep. It is. It, it doesn't, it doesn't care if it's at 80,000 feet or sea level. It's, it's going to run the same. What do you think of the decision about the motorcycles? Man, that's a hard one. Racing motorcycles for so long, and yeah, um, the way I look at it, and this is just me as a racer. You know, we we all know the risk when we go there. Um, you know, I know good and well that you know I could be you know punching my soul card every time I race that race, but um, you know, we and and as racers, we we do it knowing that. Uh, motorcycle racers, car racers, whichever kind of racer you are, it's, 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 you, you have to wear a helmet and you have to have a roll cage and a fire suppression system for a reason. You're doing something really dangerous. Um, I, I don't like it. Um, but in this day and age with all the, with, um, you know, keeping the image of a race, um, and, you know, getting insurers to insure your race and stuff like that. I think it's, and I, in America, at least, I think it's, it's hard to, to maintain that when, when you, when you have a fairly, um, regular, uh, happenings of, uh, of people, people passing away at a race. Um, so I, I guess I'm neutral on it. Like, I love seeing the motorcycles. It's like one of my favorite things there. Um, but I can also understand why they stopped doing it. Yeah, it's a tough. It's a tough thing to to spectate and hear them coming. Yeah. Oh man, it's it's uh, out of this world. But uh, yeah, it was a big big decision, obviously, for everyone to make. Yeah, it's it's man. I can't imagine how tough that was of a decision to make. Um you know, for the, for, for the folks that run Pikes Peak, uh, cause it's, it's been such a staple of the race. For sure. Um, and I'm sure they, I'm sure they had to make it because of, uh, things like I talked about, like insurance and, and liability and, and such. So definitely. Um, and that's, that's how events are run so much these that like you need it to, to have an event. Hey, you, you, mm-hmm. you don't have it. You don't have the event at all. Nope. Nope. Um, you know, and I, in uh, 2019 was the last year of the motorcycles, and uh, I was pitted right next to Carlin, who who unfortunately passed uh, 
later in that race. Um, and you know, he was, he was well on his way to, to breaking the all time motorcycle record too. the guy, the guy was an absolute legend on a motorcycle there. Um, but his, his mom, I, I told her she's my lucky charm because, uh, in 2020, she, she waved the green flag for me at the bottom wow. uh, to go. So, uh, you know, and she came and gave me a high five before my run. And, and so like, yeah, so, you know, she's my lucky charm. So she's got to, if she's, if she's watching this, she's got to come give me a high five before, uh, before the race next year to give me that. And that's pretty special. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, if, you watch, if you watch my YouTube videos, you can see her, see her on the, on the videos there. That was, that was a, um, yeah, 2019, that was, that was extremely rough, but, uh, what you just said there, that's, um, yeah, that's pretty special. Yeah. It was hard to run after that too, man. Cause it's like, you can't, it's hard to block that out. Mm. It's like you, but you also can't not run cause you, then you have to pay, you know, I, I feel like running still is like paying your respects, you know, you gotta. Yeah. And I think, I think what you touched on at the start too, like, uh, it's such a such a touchy sort of subject, but everyone knows the the risk that's inherent risk, I guess. Um, and and Carlin, I'm sure would have. He's he's obviously one of the best to ever be at the place on a motorcycle. Oh, um, he'd want you to he'd want you to probably run, you know. Yeah, without a doubt, you know. And like I said, we we all know it, um, and that's why Pikes Peak is such such a crazy legendary place. Like you know, you're there's no freaking guardrails on most of the thing, and you're 14,500 feet in the air when you get to the top. It's just, it's just, it's a place you got to respect. And, uh, you know, everybody that shows up and, and signs in knows, knows what it's all about. So for sure. Shifting gears, mate, your workshop, you've been in that for 13 years. You were saying, how was the motorsport community to jump into in, in that world? Has it been, been an awesome experience or what? That's been great for me. I mean, cause you know, I do everything on my terms now. And if, if something's stressful or not fun or political, like I just won't do it. So, um, you know, we've, I'm, I'm blessed with enough backlog, you know, we've got, we've got like a almost two year backlog of work now. Um, so yeah, I just do what's fun and I do what I want to do. And the motorsports community is, is pretty welcoming. So Awesome. Um, sometimes it's a little like old smoky. Sometimes I'll take him to like a local test day at the track and some guys are be, be out there in their Ferraris or what have you. And maybe they're not familiar with Pikes Peak or they don't, you know, f follow on social or watch Hoonigan or anything like that. And they see the truck and you can see them like, kind of like nose in the air. Uh, what is that? <laughs> Get that off the track. And then, you know, you go out there on your test day and you, you know, you, you crank off like a 15 second lap faster than they do or pass them deep into the corner. And I don't know, that's fun. And then, and then they want to like see what that's all about. And then it becomes fun for them. You know, they come and check it out, but I don't know. The, sure. the motorsports community, um, grassroots motorsports is, is, uh, is really tight knit, especially Pikes Peak. Like Pikes Peak is a family to me now, but, um, you know, when you when you get up into some of the upper echelon stuff, that a lot of the fun gets taken out of it because of the the money and the, the politics and all that stuff. I just the usual. Yep. I don't want anything to do with that stuff. It's a lot better not to. What's your what is your local places that you've got to test in that there? Like, what what do you go to? Do you go to like a Willow Springs, Button Willow, the other ones in California? What do you do? Uh, those are down in Southern California. I'm up in Northern California, so what's uh, LA? Sonoma. We got a helicopter coming by here. Um, Sonoma Raceway, um, otherwise known as Sears Point, is 20 minutes from my house. Um, world, That's a cool world, track. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so technical. I love it. Um, that is the that's my that's my home base. Um, and then sometimes I'll go to Thunder Hill, which is four hours away. Um, but that's pretty much it. Is we we just have Sears Point and Thunder Hill. I guess Sears would be the, the one of those places that would give you enough to test most things too. Hey, you know, it's a yeah. pretty it's got a bit of a variation in it. Yeah, there's there's you know there's fast sections and then there's the S's and you know you've got the carousel where you can drop down in and there's 
you know, there's off cambers and it's, it's just, it's a super technical track. Like, you know, I've had, um, friends of mine that are also professional drivers come there and do like a, like a factory demo or something like that with me. And, and I'm driving behind them and thinking, man, this guy needs to learn the track. Like, and thinking back to like when I started to like how technical that track is, you think you're going fast, but you're just going, you're going slow because there's so many little like nooks and crannies where you can crank off like an extra second here and there. That's what's cool about some of those tracks that are technical. Hey, like, um, you know, some, some of the, I must say most of the California sort of tracks actually have got a fair bit of. Yeah. Laguna. Um, so Laguna Seca is about four hours away too. Mm. And I still haven't run Smokey there, but I want to take him there. Have you uh, driven anything there? Yeah. Yeah. I've done tons of stuff at Laguna. What was that uh, like? Amazing. The corkscrew is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> you, come, you come balling into the, the corkscrew and you kind of aim for the tree that's off on the horizon and dip in. It's such a cool thing. Um, It'd be interesting to take old Smokey to a place like that, hey? Yeah, I want to. I did this. I think this year for testing, I'll make sure to get get out there and do some open testing with him. Um, the, uh, but I mean, Sonoma's it's so close, and it's such a good technical track to pretty much test for any kind of racing that that I almost have to go out of my way to go anywhere else. And when you're making that one big journey a year out to pipes, the last thing you want to do is be traveling everywhere just to do testing when you've got something so capable there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know that I know a lot of the folks there, and they they're really accommodating, and yeah, it's just it's a cool place to go. Tell me about the um, the race of Ken Block. How was that? <laughs> so uh, Ken is the head hoonigan. Yes, and. Uh, uh, Brian there is the other head Hoonigan, Brian Scotto, my buddy. And I'm, uh, one of their Hoonigan athletes. So it's, it's like been a long time coming. Like the old Smokey had no chance of beating the Hoonicorn, uh, because, you know, I brought it there in Pike's peak trim, which is, which is only a thousand horsepower. And Ken's like at 1400 and the thing weighs like a thousand pounds less than my truck, but it was just like something we just had to do. Um, so we went and we just raced and we had a, we had a blast all day. And, and, uh, you know, I finally talked Ken into roll racing me. So we, we roll raced and it was real close, but, but, uh, yeah, that unicorn is that, that thing is crazy. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah, um, a cool vehicle. Have you had the chance to be in it? Um, never been in it. No, just been around it. And it's, it's pretty fun to race next to it. Cause I like, so the first race we did, I couldn't even hear, my engine to shift. So I'm like, like when I felt it like hitting the, the uh, fuel limiter going like that, I shifted because all I heard was the unicorn like bah! in the other, in my other ear. But uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And Ken's is real. That, is it that loud, that unicorn? The what's up? Is the unicorn that loud? Like it's real loud, is it? Oh, it's insane. It's so loud. I mean, it's a, uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it runs on methanol. I mean, it doesn't even have an intercooler or anything like that. So it's high compression methanol, V8. Just, it's so freaking loud. It sounds so good, though. That was a cool piece. And as you say, you're, you're a Hoonigan ambassador as such. Mm-hmm. And it was just a cool piece. Athletes, so I get, to, I get to do Hoonigan stuff, which is fun. Which is neat. I think they've changed the whole car scene of, like, in Australia, that's like one of the biggest things that we get to watch for international um, motorsport, I guess, in, in that world. And um, it's unreal. The content's so good. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. You know, like on, on Instagram, I can go in and see where my, where my followers are from. And the second biggest chunk of followers is from Australia. And I know it's from Hoonigan because it's like... All the all the Australian guys are always up in my comments on my burnout pictures saying that the Aussies can do them better. But it's <laughs> like you follow me for a reason. Like my burnout can't suck that bad. What <laughs> are Australians, mate? We talk so much junk. Okay. <laughs> no, I love it because I talk so much. I talk so much shit to all my friends, and like even like even online, I go and I just I just troll my friends left and right, and you know it's it's fun. So like you know when the Aussies come on and troll me, like I take it as a badge of honor. I'm like, 
that guy knows what a burnout is, and he's here making fun of my burnout. So I take I'm that doing something that. right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's cool. We we do. We uh, I guess that's the mini America thing. We talk a bit of smack about things, and it's it's cool to see. And um, yeah, some of the some of the hooligan stuff's been unreal, especially over this lockdown period. There's been so much different stuff that we've been able to see. It's been awesome. Right. Yeah. That's the only thing that bums me out is like I, it's hard for me to get away because all this lockdown crap. I want to I want to be at Hoonigan filming stuff, you know, like yep. the last thing I did was the the thing with Ken. And that was like a year ago now. So. So. So what's uh, what's on the plan? Obviously, building up that that uh, LMN car. What else you got coming up? Whatever exciting. Uh... Um, oh, man, I have so much stuff. I have four cars going to SEMA. Um, Hopefully SEMA happens, fingers crossed. Um, I'm building a 13, 1,400-horsepower twin-turbo uh, Mustang. for That'll be in the Toyo booth. I'm building a 1,200-horsepower uh, BMW E30 for the Toyo booth. Um, you know, I've got all the Porsches that we're working on right now. Um, What's the um, E30 being powered by? Uh, 2JZ. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be nasty. Uh, they a neat, a neat shape of a car, E30. That's a pretty cool shape. It's 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 one of my favorite like car shapes, the E28 and the E30. I love them. Yeah, so good. It's like, you, you know, you look at BMW. I hate BMWs now. They are so freaking ugly. And now they have the, the grill that's like the size of a semi-truck. And they, I don't know, you know, that's, so that's what happens when you go from, designers designing cars to committees designing cars you know it's like what, they, what do you think they just did do you think they just went to alpha and copy pasted that front grill i don't know they whatever whatever it is it's 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 disgusting i can't that, they're so gross <laughs> from some of the most beautiful cars from they really like, were. you know 88 to probably yeah, it's still there's some good ones coming through, but that that period '88 to probably 2005, there's some of the E30, E46, E90, some of the best looking vehicles going around. Yeah, I tell I tell everyone that BMW died in the in the early 2000s. Like they, you know, the, the I think the E46 was the last really really cool car that I was into. Yeah, um, awesome car. Yeah, they're super rad. Um, actually, I'm building a E46 Time Attack car at the shop right now. Um, Full downforce generating under tray, big wing. Um, it's got a 2019 uh, Corvette Z06 uh, LT4 in it. So, yeah. wow, that's that's cool. What do you think of the new Corvette? Um, it's a new car. It's a new car. It doesn't have a manual, which is kind of lame. And that's another thing I didn't like about my Supra. Like, I couldn't get one in a manual. Like. It's a sports car. Make a freaking manual. Like I get that nobody wants to drive manuals, but at least make one in like limited production for the people that do want one. Um, I I like I like it. I don't like I like the front, but I feel like the design of that car it's it, it looks disjointed between the rear. It look the rear of the car it looks like a different car than the front. Like if you cut them in half, like they could be two completely different cars. You could get to, yeah, definitely. Definitely there's something about that. I, I like it. it's a cool looking car, but yeah, just just somewhere through somewhere through the bed lines that just didn't fit the fit the build. But yep. one of the nicest looking ones of the last last few years, I, I feel anyway. But uh, I think the I think the C seven was a better looking car. Yeah, okay. Um but like you know, and I haven't driven one. I hear I hear they're really amazing to drive, but it's like I don't know. It's just another new car. Like that time attack E forty six will be cool. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, my, I'm building that for my but my, my longtime friend Jim. So when he gets that, that's going to be like the nastiest race car he's ever had. So it'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be scary. That time attack um, time attack series is unreal. Some of the yeah. things that people, you know, the actual engineering things that you're seeing people put out it's pretty pretty neat uh, time attack is fun because it's it's kind of like the wild west right now like all the different they're trying out different arrow things and, you know it's uh it just reminds me of like the old group b days and rally when like they just freaking threw the book at a car to try to make it go fast like that's cool to me like there's no rules yeah you know? that's well, that's why pike's peak is so cool too you have the unlimited division and the exhibition division 
where like you just go, you build a car and you try to go as fast as you want. There's no, there's no like there's safety rules, but that's it. I've said it for years. Like there's got to be, you know, rules in sport or there's a place for them, but there's got to be a place where you have just all out. Let, let the engineers go wild, you know, let exactly. the innovators come through. I think, I think that's the, I think that's the downfall of the modern NASCAR too. Mm. Like become, it's, it's, you're basically, it's a spec car series, right? And everybody's driving the same exact car. You know, they, they, in fact, they have to have a template that matches. So it's all the same car and it's just it's become so boring. And it has see, yeah. So like the spec car thing will work in a certain way. Like you, but you've got to have characters and you got to have, you know, like the Dale Earnhardt's and the, the, uh, you know, all that these whole era. Huh? That whole era of like the Dale Earnhardt's and stuff. Like they're all characters. Yeah, right? And Gordon, you know? all those guys, like that, you got to have something to interest you that's not just the car. Mm. Um, my buddy, my buddy Ray Evernham, he just, he started the SRX series. Um, mm. I don't know if you've watched that, but it's, it's really fun to watch. It's basically spec oval racing, but they bring in racers from all kinds of different series, uh, you know, retired racers from like, you know, different eras of NASCAR and cart and IndyCar and, and circle you know, all this stuff. And it's fun to watch. Uh, it's a spec, spec car. Yeah. It's a spec car. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. But it's fun. Like you, you, if you don't have crazy different, like wildly differing engineering in the cars, like you have to have something else. You have to have a selling point. And the trouble is like, as soon as someone becomes a character in NASCAR, they get squashed. You yep. know, like if you get outside the, or any sport this is to get outside that little box thing, you get squashed. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel like F as F1 right now is, has finally figured out like how to get a truly international audience, like uh, with, with the, you know, the Netflix series. Did you because, watch it? Oh yeah. I love that series. It's so good. Unreal. Hi. Yeah. It's so good. So good. But you get to see like the characters, which are, which are a lot of the times, you know, for the past, I don't know how many years have been kind of suppressed, but behind like the images they have to have and all this stuff. And, and now you can see like who's behind it and, and you can, you can pick your favorite character. And, and I think, I think that, I think the Netflix has really done a, a service to, to F1 for that, you know, cause I agree. And it made formula one, like not everyone's cup of tea, you know, like I'm more of a saloon car fan than F1. Same. But watching that, I'm like, that is cool. Like now I've, I've watched more yeah. of them. As now well. you're like, oh shit, I'm an F1 fan now. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Gunther fan. I reckon he's a, he's a gem. I reckon after the few series, he's been funny as. Who do you like? Gunther. Um, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking he, about. He's good. Like he just speaks it how it is. There's no there's no bullshit. It's just straight up. It's pretty yep. cool. So he's yeah. been uh, he's been the star of the show for me. I reckon. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cool there's a lot of cool characters on there. That's cool, mate. Well, it's uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, I better let you get back to your your bloody family and stuff. It's uh, Wednesday night over there, isn't it? Oh, I'm just gonna go drink some tea and watch TV. So, <laughs> awesome. Go watch Netflix. Let's <laughs> go watch some Netflix. Awesome, mate. Well, thank you so much for um, yeah, taking the time out. Truly, truly appreciate it, eh? All right, my man. I appreciate it. All the best, and uh, hopefully see you over there sometime. Yes, sir. That's all we have time for on today's show. If you get the chance, head over to YouTube and hit subscribe on our channel. The other places you can find us are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. Uh, Give us a rating and a review. Tell your friends and uh, be safe, everyone, and enjoy your week.